Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of the Let's Talk Audio Podcast. Woohoo! So, on today's episode, we have the fabulous Akash Takar. He is a Seattle-based video game designer and composer. He is also a podcast host of the newly launched The Sound Business Podcast with Akash Takar. And he is just in general all about sharing his knowledge and know-how of business and the industry of audio and just all sorts of like super cool fun things. So without further ado, because who needs long intros, we're just going to get into it. So let's learn about how to be kind imposters. But to answer your question, my background is in live sound. I worked as a live sound engineer for really, I started in junior high because I started at church and I was running it by myself and that's cool. That was fun. And I kind of just kept doing it through the years. And then I graduated college in 2018. So Two years before I graduated, I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. Nice. And at the time, I was thinking it would be an ethnomusicology podcast because I love music and like the history of music and breaking down like different components and how that gets transformed, especially in terms of world music. Because I think there are a lot of influences from other places in the world that people don't always realize that they come from specific cultures or countries or whatever. And so I thought it'd be fun to like have that be a thing. But then... (laughs) music licensing and then I was like that's not happening I didn't have the money for that and so I was like well what else can I do and at the time I was listening to the six-figure home studio guys I mean I still listen to them but now they're called like the six-figure creative instead of the six-figure home studio and so I was listening to them and they had this episode talking about like podcasting and why you know all people should have a podcast and I was like okay yeah sure and I had just listened to that episode and then I went to work and it was like a slower day and where we were working at. And so we were standing there after putting together like one of these giant stacks and we were just like, all right, let's stare at each other for like, you know, the next 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and so for some reason I thought to myself, I think I'm the only black person here. <laughs> I don't know why that thought came across my mind, but it did. And then I thought, surely I'm not. And then I was like, uh-huh. wait, I think I'm the only black person on the audio team. And I was like, surely I'm not. And then I was like, no, I really am. And then I thought, what? Am I like the only woman? And I was like, no, there's not another, there's other women, but there's not other black women. And then I thought, hmm, women. But then I thought there's only like two of us Mm. that are actually on the audio team that are hired that are not necessarily contracted out. And so then I was like, I think I know what I want my podcast to be about. So then I was just like, we're going to do women in audio. But then somewhere along the lines, women in audio became minorities in audio because I realized that minorities in general was a better topic. It was a lot more broad as well for me to interview different people because I think minorities, I think a lot of people think of minorities as race, sex, and then sexual orientation. But they don't think about how you could be a minority in other ways. You can be a religious minority. Mm. You can be a minority in a certain train of thought. I just think that that it allowed for me to have 
really great conversations with people that weren't necessarily standard. I like that. Yeah. So that's how this podcast came to be. I released the first episode at the beginning of 2020, even though I had been working on it for like a year or so before that. It takes so long. Yeah. (laughs) It really does. And then, uh, yeah. So that's how we are here. Amazing. I guess that's like my small background. (laughs) Beautiful. I love it. I love it. That's great. Yeah. So first off, I think you pronounce your name Akash, correct? Yes. Okay. Akash. Yeah, Akash cool. the I was like, yep. yes, I think I got this right. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. Okay. I always hate when I get people's names wrong. Not because you shouldn't get people's names wrong at right. some point if you've never been familiarized with it. But I do think you should make an effort totally. to know how to sure. pronounce people's names. Like, at the very least, get their first name right, you know? Yes. Love <laughs> like, it. There's some last names that I'm like, lies. I, I don't know how to pronounce that stuff. <laughs> My stepdad is from India, and so I oh, cool. I know, like, when people see his name, people are always like, how do you pronounce this? Especially with, like, the double consonants yes, back to back yes. and, like, all that sort of stuff. So you're from... I'm from... Like, I'm born in Canada, but my mom is from Uganda, and my dad is from India. Oh, okay. But they met in India, and my mom spent most of her life in India, so I identify more as Indian. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Then we have that in common. Well, pretty, sort yeah, of that's in common. super cool. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Awesome. So we'll just get into it and uh, we'll start off with you introducing yourself and how you got started in the world of audio. Awesome. So my name is Akash Thakara. I am a sound designer based in Seattle, Washington, but born in Canada. I need to make that extremely clear. I'm Canadian. That's why I'm so nice and cute. But I kind of got my start in game audio by actually wanting to be a touring musician. So I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston to be a touring drummer. And growing up in an immigrant Indian family, that was not a acceptable way of going about your life because your choices in that regard are doctor, lawyer, or failure. Those are your three <laughs> options. So going to a music school to become a touring drummer with hair down to my butt and a giant beard wasn't really in the cards for my parents. But I did actually eventually end up going there by practicing you know, 10 million hours a day. But reality, it was eight hours a day, every single day, no breaks for about five years straight. There was literally no breaks. When I had a head injury, I kept practicing. When I had hand injury, I kept practicing. Christmas day, car rides, I would have a practice vet. I literally never stopped practicing. But eventually going there, I realized after touring with Nobuo Omatsu, the drummer for Final Fantasy, that I was like, oh, this is cool, but this isn't for me. Like being in front of the audience and stuff, that I love. I still love the performative aspect of doing things. But I also didn't like touring because you had to be up at 3 a.m. loading drums onto a place and then flying to another place and you're eating like garbage and it's just very, very stressful. So eventually I was like, oh, I want to be like him. I want to be like this person I'm touring with who writes video game music. So I quit that kind of group and started teaching myself a little bit how to do game audio while being supported by Berkeley as well. It didn't have a game audio program at all at that time. It did eventually. But when I was there, I started teaching myself how to do it. I started teaching other people how to do it in like little club meetings we had every single week. And from there, it just gradually snowballed. I eventually ended up leading the club that kind of did video game sound stuff. It snowballed from there. I did what you're doing now. I interviewed a lot of pros in the industry. Not a podcast didn't exist back then, but I started interviewing pros in the industry for the school. I'm putting that in air quotes for the school. Really, it was for me so that when I graduated, I would have a huge network to kind of talk to and get help from by the time I graduated. So when I graduated in 2012 from music school, I moved to Seattle, completely blind, didn't know anybody at all. But I knew kind of how to at least navigate it a little bit because I had help from professors teaching me how to network. I read books. I hired coaches on how to 
be charismatic and network because that is a thing I didn't know how to do. I'm an extreme introvert to the highest degree. Like I literally, my hands would shake if I had to talk to somebody. I was so scared. So I had to train myself and all of that. But moving to Seattle, within just a few weeks, I actually ended up finding work because there were so few people here doing audio as a freelancer. It's the opposite of L.A. in every way. I moved here because it's the opposite of L.A. Like L.A. is where musicians go to die. But I went here because it's nothing but technical people, programmers, developers, that sort of stuff, and very few artists. So I knew there'd be lots of work here, even though I didn't know anybody. And that kind of panned out from there. But since then, I've worked on a bunch of video games like Hyperlight Drifter or Destiny. And now just two days ago, launched my own podcast on interviewing people just like you're doing and just released or just announced a game called Outer Wilds some DLC for a game called Outer Wilds. So it's kind of been going really well. There are some ups and downs in that general story, but that's how it all kind of came together and started. Wow, that's a lot and really great. I mean, I guess like, first off, let's talk about these games. Yeah. I read your email earlier. I, it's really funny because you sent me that email and I had already looked on your website and saw that you had launched your podcast like two days ago. And I was like, I think I could talk about it. So I'm going to add a question into Perfect. it now. And you were like, Bam! And I was like, <laughs> right off the gate, let's do it then. Perfect. So first off, I guess what I want to know first is how did you get into the podcast idea and then turn around and launching it? I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, people tell me I should start a podcast, but then I don't know what it's like, what it would be about. Why am I even starting a podcast? What is that supposed to do? You know, so how did you land in that world? Yeah, so it's similar to you in that like I've been wanting to do it for a little a long time and all these people who I listen to are like, Oh you gotta start a podcast and the exact same of what we were talking about earlier, like like ah why bleh. like I had the exact same mindset around it at first, but then I realized like, oh I am getting more and more interested, and I've always been more interested in the business side of what we do more so than the creation side. I don't consider myself a sound designer. Really, I actually consider myself a business person who happens to do audio. Audio just happens to be a vector of which I do things, but really, I consider myself a business person. So when I started realizing that, I realized, oh, no one's really interviewing people in games or film or literally anything like pop stars, anything like that about the business of how they started doing what they do about the mindsets, about money, about finances, about staying sustainable. So I started realizing, Oh, okay. That would actually be an interesting idea for a podcast, mainly because it'd be interesting to me to learn about that stuff <laughs> more so that if ever other people listen, fantastic, but really it's more just for me to meet these people and talk to them about the business side of what they do. So that's actually how it started. I started thinking about this like two years ago and then I had a few false starts. I never launched anything, but I started recording some episodes. They didn't feel right. They kind of sucked. But then when I realized that the interview format was what I wanted to do and wanted to talk to people in all areas of audio, educators, pop stars, game audio, film audio, anyone who's in audio doing something cool and making a living off of it, that's when I realized, oh, this is starting to get fun. And that's how it kind of started up and launched because at that point it became easy because talking to these people is fun. That's really cool. I haven't really, and I, I know this seems weird. I don't know if it's weird or not, but since I started podcasting, I haven't actually talked to anybody who actually podcasts 
Like I've talked to people who edit podcasts and I've talked to people who, you know, mix and master and do that sort of thing. But I haven't actually talked to anybody who actually is like, oh, I'm in front of the mic. I'm going to be doing these things. So it's really interesting that like we have such similarities in that way. I mean, because like you're talking and I was like, oh, my God, I was the same train of <laughs> yeah. thought. Like, like, absolutely. 100%. Like, yes, I did the same thing. Like when I started, I was like, I just I just want to talk to people. I want to know their stories. I want to know how they got to where they are in the world. And I was like, I mean, what better way to do that than have a podcast? I mean, why not? You know, and and so it's really fun. It's a great excuse too. like I'm sure you realize like if you want to talk to any of these people, it'd be really hard to send them an email like want to chat. But if you say, hey, want to come on a podcast? Like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll absolutely hang out with you. It's so much easier to get them to you as well with that. It is. And it's led to different opportunities, I think, as well, which is something that I think has been kind of fun. Like I got to give a commencement speech and one of the like, (laughs) yeah, for like a a high school. So so cool. That was a lot of fun. But one of the reasons why I was chosen was because I took a path that's a little bit more not the beaten path, (laughs) like in doing live sound in general, but then also because of having the podcast and what that looks like and having my own business because it's attached to those sort of things. And it was like, hey, you have something really great to say. And I think these kids would appreciate it. So let's do this. And so I don't know. It's fun because you get to talk to people, but it's also fun because of the experiences that you wouldn't necessarily get because of it, which is fun. I feel like that's something that like, you probably had even before podcasting, right? Like, I mean, podcasting only been like two days, right? Right. But right. like, <laughs> especially with all of your, I, I don't know, should we call them blog articles? Or yeah, I guess articles, posts, YouTube articles, posts, yeah, posts. all that content in general. All the content that, we, that you're putting out. I feel like you would get a lot of positive responses or different opportunities because of that. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm very lucky in that regard. Like, I've always liked doing contenty things. So making YouTube videos, making Instagram reels, doing all that stuff, podcasting now, which is, you know, you've been doing it longer than me, but that's that's new to me. Podcasting, all that stuff. Articles. So fun. It's so fun to me. And I like learning to get better and I like sucking at them. I really enjoy like my early articles were terrible. My early, early YouTube videos were garbage. My first like false start podcast episodes were absolute trash i'll never release those but (laughs) now because i like that practice i like that process i like being like oh what's a new way to write or like what's a new way to get information across to somebody like now all i'm reading is books on metaphor and how to use metaphor in the way you speak because that's the best way to teach people everyone loves metaphor when you're or analogy when you're speaking so using that okay that's a new way for me to do speeches you know i've done ted talks as well so using those sorts of mentalities when teaching people i've always liked that because i remember when i was in high school i noticed a difference between math teachers like okay why am i doing well in one math class and why am i doing so terribly in these other ones oh it's the teacher the teacher makes literally all the difference in the world with how i'm doing in my life and realize oh then i should become a really good teacher as best as i humanly can be so hopefully I can make that di- same difference that that good math teacher made for me versus the not good ones <laughs> so I can help other people. Have you heard of Bob Burr, I believe is his name? He wrote the no. Go-Giver book? No. No? I feel like based off of what you said about like learning analogies and metaphors that you would probably really enjoy his book. I'm currently reading it and I actually discovered it because one of the six-figure guys, they had him on. Love it. In the interview, he was talking about how 
he started writing the book because it was all about analogies and like learning about metaphors and having that as part of his life and learning those types of lessons. And so then he was like, well, why not put that into oh. a book that helps people? Sold. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like that's like super up your alley. I think it's up anybody's alley in general, even if, you know, you're not in love with metaphors. Thank you. That's an amazing recommendation. I am so into that. Yeah. So that's super cool. Yeah. I, I have no transition <laughs> after that. <laughs> That is something that I am constantly trying to to learn to be better at. Because, you know, I didn't go to school to right. be an interviewer, right? Like, I'm just, like, out here was like, yeah, I'm right. going to start talking to people. <laughs> Same. <laughs> like, smooth transitions, <laughs> failures. I, I have yet to master them. Other, I just mostly state, this is going to be a Even transition better. now. Yeah, okay? just not at the audience. Cool. You're coming with us. Hooray. Yeah. We're, we're doing this. Love it's it. going to be fine. Something that I thought of, though, while while you were talking about that was... You do have a huge emphasis on teaching and learning and that whole aspect. And I think a lot of times when we think about people in the audio industry, and maybe this is just my experience, but from my perspective, I've always struggled with people being willing to teach. People don't usually want to share their information. They're like, no, I got to hoard it, you know, or if they do give you anything, it's like, these tiny little nuggets of like nothingness, right? Like it's like one idea, one sentence, and then you're like supposed to apparently know how to make that work, right? So why are you so, so giving? Sweet. I mean, why? I mean, I'm I'm so you're happy so that you are because I definitely was like reading your your articles and stuff online, and I was like, oh my god, this guy, like yes, I'm you gonna keep so reading kind. these, absolutely. <laughs> But, um, but I'm being completely honest. Like, so I feel like you have more of a community aspect when it comes to these things, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is that it feels like a lot of your content is more like, yeah, but we're in an audio community. We should all be kind of helping each other. The content that we're putting out should be helping each other. So what made you lead to that instead of kind of, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing. You're right. Like if a pro is really busy, it's hard for them to teach. Or maybe some people are hoarding their material. Some people just don't think they can teach or don't want to or anything like that. There's so many reasons. But I was lucky in that when I was in college, especially, I had good teachers. And so I realized, ooh, what? what a difference this is making. Like, not all my teachers were good, unfortunately. But the ones that were good, shout out to Michael Sweet and Jeff Baust at Berkeley. Those people, just two people, and others too, other really great ones, but those two really stand out. I realized, okay, this makes a huge difference. This is unbelievably massive difference. And I naturally always gravitated to it after high school. In high school, I was like very in my shell. I was very introverted. I'm still very introverted. But I was, you know, so, so shy that like we were talking about earlier, my hands would shake when I would talk to anybody. So I realized, oh, if I can like learn these things, then other people can learn these things. And I'm a nerd in these ways. And I can help people who aren't nerds in these ways learn these things and help their careers and help their mindset and all that sort of stuff. Because as I was learning, as I was reading, as I was learning about the business and all that, I was like, oh, I'm getting better results. This will probably help other people too. But a lot of it actually comes from there's a mindset or like a, a term, I guess, called mudita, which means the joy of seeing someone else succeed. It is, it is the opposite of what a lot of people feel, like which I've certainly felt before a lot of creatives feel. When someone else is doing better than you, we get jealous, right? This is the opposite feeling. So I've always tried my best to stay in that phrase, the mudita kind of phase of my life. So I'm like, okay, 
I want other people to outdo me. That is my actual goal with all my content is I want other people to take jobs from me. I want other people to out earn me. I want other people to make me irrelevant because they're doing so well. That is my absolute true goal. But it all comes from that place of like, okay, well, if I help other people, they're going to help other people. And then the industry as a whole gets better. And I see so, 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 so many people in games and beyond people who are just so bitter so bitter and holding people back and just dragging people down under the guise of being helpful. I see a lot of people being hurt by the people who are claiming to be the most helpful, especially on Twitter. That place is dark. But I'm seeing all these bitter, bitter, bitter people just being like, yeah, no, you got to be negative. Like, I hate I hate that. So this is actually kind of a, a rebellion against that mindset as well. A lot of this comes against that. A lot of this comes against the stuff I learned when I when I graduated college and started going to talks and stuff, too. I would see talks from pros in the industry. And they would say things like, just get an agent. I'm like, that doesn't apply to 99% of people in this room. What the hell are you saying? How dare you? So I got really mad, too. A lot of it comes from, like, rage in the initial part. I'm like, this is bad advice to all of these people. You're telling people X, Y, Z about charging when I know for a fact that isn't true. I know that's not how much you charge. How dare you say that? So it also came from that to kind of me being like, oh, I'm going to supplant these people. So there was, like, selfishness and dark reasons. And I think there's, like, a really good side to the dark side of humanity because it can help people and also it came from oh i had good teachers so i should spread that too so there's a duality to it as well (laughs) that's really cool i definitely remember like when i was coming up in the world that that was like a huge thing i remember people would tell me things like worst advice ever by the way is i went to somebody and i was like hey i really want to get started this was when i was like in high school and i was getting ready to graduate because you know your junior year is all you got to know by your junior year what college you're going to go to and what you're going to study i'm like i'm 17 i don't know anything right (laughs) So while I was trying to figure that out, I was like, I loved doing sound. I just didn't know. I didn't have the terminology to like Google (laughs) what audio engineering was supposed to look like or what schools had that or any sort of resources like that. So I I walked up to one of the guys who worked at the church, who was the lead sound guy. And I was like, hey, so how do I like go about getting into the audio world, the audio industry? Like, how do I do that? And he was like, uh, well, just go buy a bunch of equipment and then just start doing oh it. God. What? Like, as a 17, yeah. go buy some equipment. What equipment? What's the stuff? Where Where do I go after How I have the equipment? How does it hook up even? Like, and I it's know that, just... <laughs> like, like, useless. Useless. It was useless. Now, it, it was useless on multiple levels. And I think part of the reason why it was useless is because, one, that's such an incomplete statement. Like, there's no other information. Now, I think there's a difference between that, between people who need to just start doing things. Some people, they just need to start, right? But that's completely different than being told, oh, yeah, just go buy some equipment and start doing things, right? Because that is a nonsense thing versus you already have some of the education. You already have some of the resources. You already have some of the tools. You don't need to like a a step-by-step plan from like A to Z on how you're going to do it. All you need to do is just take step A. And then learn and then take step B. So I feel like that was one of the things that you talked about in one of the articles that I read on your page. I couldn't tell you which one it was, but I definitely feel like it was one of them. So how do you go about, I don't know, advising people through through the process of how to know the difference between those two places? You know, I'm now master, right? I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. But in my experience of doing this, what I've kind of 
noticed is that, like you said, so 99% of the time, someone just needs to do the thing as simply as it takes. So it could be using a phone. It could be using a laptop speaker to record some sounds or laptop mic to record some sounds. It could be using any single tool that they can. It could literally be going outside and actively listening to the environment around them because we naturally tune out the sounds around us. Starting is so, 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 so much of the work, as you well know. It's literally just being like, all right, I'm going to like do the thing. And I advise everybody as humanly possible to do the babiest, smallest thing imaginable. So it's the equivalent of doing one push-up, not a hundred. So if someone says, oh, I want to start doing sound design, I'm like, okay, cool. Do you have a computer? The answer is yes. I'll say, okay, grab Audacity. It's totally free. Record a sound. Go to the effects menu in the top and just hit them. Just smash them and see what happens. You'll start to realize, oh, sound design's a joke job for clowns because this is it. It's all experimentation and pushing buttons and seeing what nonsense you can create. And then you get a kind of a latticework of nonsense experiences that you can use later that you remember, oh, when I pressed this button last time, it made this sound with this sample. Let me do that again because that'll fit this scenario. That's what this is all about. But I, I encourage people to start as tiny as humanly possible. And when people ask me, like email me or whatever, asking about gear or anything like that, I always try and dissuade them away from it unless it's something very basic like a computer or something like that. If it's a computer or something very, very basic like a microphone or anything like that, sure, fine, great, but doesn't even have to be fancy. It really, really doesn't. But if it's something like, the, oh, I need to get this big mixer or I have to get this huge synthesizer or something like, no, don't, don't, don't. Look at Billie Eilish and Phineas. They use stock logic. They use literally no third party anything. It's stock logic. There's no any extra. It's not even the additional content that comes with logic. It is literally the plugins that come with it. And they have a trillion Grammys and they have billions of dollars. So anything works it's so easy to get started nowadays and i think because of the ease that it is to start with this like you know you can download reaper or something like that which is free to start with it's so easy to start that it's hard to start because we realize oh i can just get this and i can come back at any time i want there's no real value to this thing i just downloaded so i can just hey i can just go off and do my own thing or it's so overwhelming that you open up logic or whatever you see all these tracks you see all these plugins and you don't know where to start so i encourage people to like pick a plugin or whatever a sound twiddle a knob that's your work for the day you've done more than 99% of people who say they want to get into sound but aren't doing anything so yeah i push people to just like you said start just do a little something every day or every couple days, whatever works for them, to make it as easy as humanly possible. One push-up. One push-up a day. Laughably small steps. That's actually really good advice. Although it does come with, I don't know, in my personal opinion, uh, a lot of uh, the imposter syndrome, though. You know? Like, I felt like when I started this podcast, I was like, oh, my God, I'm such an imposter. How dare I? You know? <laughs> like, how dare I start this process? Like, what do I know? You know? But it's like, I, mean, I don't know if that mattered or not, but <laughs> here we are, you know. I don't know. I still struggle oh, yeah. with that. Like, even to this day, people are like, oh, you've been doing podcasting for, like, over a year. Like, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, uh, but is it? Yeah, though? in the back of your mind, you're wondering, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, the other day, I had to mix something for my own podcast because I had internet failure issues where it makes everything sound super robotic. And I was like, oh, yeah, how do I fix this? I didn't know. 
I never had that issue before, you know? Like I had I had Google Fiber for like the longest. Oh, lucky. Lag doesn't exist. Oh. It was fantastic. And then I moved and then I, oh. there was no more fiber. And so <laughs> I had to learn. But it was like in that moment I was like, This is why I'm an imposter. It's because <laughs> yes. I'd never experienced this situation. Why would I know how to use it? Like logically, that's obviously yes. the situation. But in my mind totally. I was like, This proves why I shouldn't. Right. Like, yes. Like self-validation of like the most ridiculous ways. It's so you're so right. I don't know. Do you do you struggle with that? I, oh my I mean, god! With like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let me rephrase that question. I'm sure you struggle with that. So oh, how do you deal day. with it? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think everybody deals with imposter syndrome. I think minorities deal with it more because you know we're we're in a sea of people who don't look like, act like, or maybe think like us. So it is also more exacerbated in that regard as well. But what my mindset is, and maybe this is right, maybe this is wrong, but I don't think imposter syndrome can ever be gotten rid of. And I think what we should think about is instead of trying to get rid of imposter syndrome or lessen how we feel about it or anything like that, is realizing if we're being creative, that means we're doing something new. We are imposters by default. We are all imposters because we're doing new things, because we're creative. Creativity inherently is new. And therefore, we are imposters on the thing. And if we aren't feeling imposter syndrome, we're not being creative, period. An accountant doesn't feel imposter syndrome, period, because they're not doing new things every single day. They're like, I know exactly how to handle this tax account. Cool. But if they're more of a creative accountant, maybe they're doing something for like a huge company like Apple or something like that, they are more creative. And I'm sure they feel more imposter syndrome. The more new stuff we do, the more imposter syndrome we feel, which means we're doing the right thing as a creative. So our goal instead isn't to stop imposter syndrome. It's to be a kind, creative imposter. That's it. It's to lean into it and become a kind imposter. That is, I like that mindset. I like the way that that sounds. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm like, how, how would that work though? Like how, I guess, how do you treat yourself kindly mm -hmm. to be a kind imposter then? Yeah. All you do is instead of thinking, oh man, I'm so bad at this. This is, a, I'm an imposter, blah, blah, blah. You start thinking, oh man, I'm so bad at this. I'm an imposter. It's because I'm doing a new thing. So is that person, so is that person, so is that person. Let me help them regardless. It's let me do X regardless. That is what, how what a kind imposter does. A, a someone who isn't an imposter, the bitter people we talked about earlier, they don't do that. They, they, they go like, I'm, I know everything and I'm going to hoard all the knowledge. I'm going to be very negative. Blah, blah, blah. But a kind imposter says, oh, I'm, not, I'm scared. Let me help regardless. That is the truth of it. We don't get rid of the feeling. The feeling stays the same no matter what. But instead, we do our best to be like, oh, let me help regardless. Let me do this regardless. I am an imposter because it's new. That's the definition of what we're doing. Man. You just gave me something to think about. I yes. even, <laughs> I was like, geez, <laughs> oh, that's so real. I mean, because like, you know, people, people like to always say, you know, be kind to yourself, be forgiving to yourself, all those sorts of things. And that's great and all. And totally. I mean, I, I'm not saying that you, I mean, you should do those things. Yes. To me. You, should, you should be kind to yourself. <laughs> you should be gracious to yourself. Be gracious to others as an extension of that as well. But when it comes to imposter syndrome, I think sometimes people don't necessarily apply those same concepts to that specific idea. And so it, it leads to harsher self-talk. Totally. Yes. 100%. So that's, that's fabulous. Creative, oh creatives goodness. are cursed with the harshest self-talk. 
You know. We all know. I do. I do. I, although I have a question, okay? Yeah. This is not at all on topic. I mean, it's on topic, but Go. sort of not. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was trying to like lead that, and then I was like, just stop. We're not good at those yet. <laughs> We're just not. <laughs> it's great. It's charming. <laughs> well, thank you. No, but my thought is, so in your mind, do you have like an internal dialogue with yourself? Like, do you hear yourself think? Or are you one of those people who just lives constantly in the present so you don't actually have an internal no, like, dialogue with yourself? <laughs> no, I'm always thinking. I'm overthinking all the time. I think all, most so many of us are overthinking. Be like, okay, what if I do this? What if this doesn't work? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And usually it's very negative biased, right? I wish I was someone who could just – I wish I was a Buddhist monk that could just like be perfectly meditated and like have an amazing brain and live in the present 24-7. No, I'm very, very, very future-oriented. I'm always thinking about like, okay, what's next? Uh, what if this doesn't work? Okay, I need to plan for this, blah, 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 blah. There are little tricks that you can use to like improve your dialogue. And like you, you, you already know this stuff, I'm sure. Like you, you know, meditation helps a lot for calming your brain down. I'm a heavy meditator or even saying things to yourself like cut in your head, like as if you're cutting a music movie scene makes it stop that scene that's playing in your head, that disastrous circumstance. Or one trick that I love to death that helps calm down the dialogue when it's very negatively biased is when you have that fear in your head, that thing that's spinning around saying like, oh God, I suck. This is bad. What if this happens? Whatever it is, that voice makes a lot of noise in a small space inside of our heads. But as soon as we say it out loud, we realize the absurdity of that thought. When we start to say something like, oh, I'll never get that gig because I'm not good enough, you start to be like, oh, that kind of takes the sting off a lot. Because when you hear it out loud, again, the voice makes a loud noise in a very small space. But as soon as you put it into reality, you start to see it for what it is, which is a small thought that doesn't make a lot of noise, that doesn't have a lot of weight to it. You start to find ways to kind of counteract it as soon as you say it out loud. So those sorts of things. You have to teach yourself the absurdity of your own thoughts is one of the most powerful things you can do because humans have, our brains are stupid. We're very stupid. But our, our self-talk is terrible. And as soon as we start teaching ourselves the absurdity of that, then things start to change. Our self-talk starts to improve. Mine's not perfect by any means, but I definitely have that inner dialogue going 24-7. I'm trying always to be making it more positive or making it more helpful or things like that. Like two things that came to mind when you said that was like, one is that, you know, there are some people who are highly productive because they never have to internally talk to themselves for them to be able to do anything. So jealous. I discovered that that was a thing recently. And I was like, wait, people don't have internal things just like talking to them all the time. Like for me with reading, I've always known that it exists because when it comes Mm -hmm. to reading, I have to read it in my head and then process to myself what it is that I just read. So there's like at least three points of contact in my yes. mind just to do something as basic as reading. Like it's why I can't skim things. Like if I try skimming, I don't know what I just read. I don't know what those words are. I don't know what anything meant. And so people are like, oh yeah, you just ditch these letters and you can skim. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I don't know what happens. <laughs> right, right. And so like, I think it's really interesting that one, that those people exist, but oh, second, it's fascinating. like, I, I want to know what it's like to be inside somebody's <laughs> head like that. You know, I know it's not like really possible because like, right. like, that's not really how it works in the world. But if I could, I would absolutely 100%. love to like exist in that space, like for at least a solid day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see what happens with myself. Right. <laughs> but the second thing is, is that that reminded me of one of the ways that I know for like me is when it comes to like negative thoughts, because I also have really, really, uh, I don't want to say 
really bad anxiety because I definitely know there are people out there who have it worse than me. But I have anxiety, and that stuff began the better of me sometimes. But it's really crazy because I didn't know that I had anxiety until I got older. I just thought that that was like everybody's minds worked this way. And so I never understood why people didn't understand me and what I was talking about. Because not everybody struggles with this. And so it, it doesn't look the same. But one of the things that I learned was it'll be like in the bathroom, like getting ready for bed. And next thing you know, my mind is like, you could have said this better. Yes. You could have did this better, whatever, whatever. And I was just like, I always actively have to say, okay, and we're done. Nice. Like, we're not doing this today. I love that. We're moving on. I even like have to do the hand gesture to myself. I love Even that. though there's like nobody else around really to see smart. it. But I don't know. Like, that's like my way of helping. I don't know if that that's helps smart. other people out there. But if it does, by all means, give it a shot. Who knows? You might, it might help you kind of calm some of those thoughts. I think that like these sort of things are always interesting because like on a person by person basis, like some people can be struggling with like very similar issues, but the way that they have to approach them is like incredibly different. So different. I don't so know. different. Did you like, I don't know, read books on it or was it just something that you just kind of learned over time or... Yeah, yeah. Book, books are one of my favorite things in the universe. I read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, I was reading just now about something called 5-alpha reductase right before this. Like, I'll read anything. Like, I will read absolutely anything. But by the way, that's a thing in our bodies that converts testosterone to something called DHT. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> I was I wondering, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> uh, so it's... I just love reading. So yeah, I read a lot on, like, self-development, personal development, all that sort of stuff. And also, I love getting... you Like, my most of my money is spent on books, courses, and mentors. That is the thing that I've always spent most of my money on, like as much as humanly possible, whenever, like wherever affordable, obviously. But when I was in college, instead of buying textbooks, I hired a coach. I hired a charisma coach because I knew I was so introverted, not introverted, I was so shy that I couldn't possibly succeed because I couldn't talk to people. Literally, I literally could not talk to people. I was so shy, my hands would shake. I'd look at the ground. Literally could not approach a person, like say hi, anything. I'd just be so terrified. So I was like, okay. I could either read the same books that everybody else is reading and none of, a, none of them are getting results or I can do the thing that actually matters and learn how to deal with people, which is every job requires that. Unless you're like a professional boxer, you need to be good with people. <laughs> like that is kind of it. So instead of buying textbooks, which are crazy expensive, I would instead hire my coach, Pratt Bennett. We're still friends to this day, but he taught me everything on like how to stand how to network, how to breathe, how to shake someone's hand, how to like say goodbye, how to use my eyes. Like I was so unable to be a person. I had to start from the absolute basics. My voice was different back then. It was higher pitched and way softer. Everything is trained. And I learned everything is trainable. So it all started from there too. And to this day, I'll still like when, when I have a lull in projects or I realize I need some help with something, I'll hire a coach to help me with this thing. It could be like maybe I have self-doubts about my career or maybe I want to do X, Y, Z with my career. I want to do a new thing. Or for, for, for example, I want to write better articles. I'll go to a course and take a writing course or something like that. That is kind of how I pick this stuff up is from other people, books, coaches, mentors, those sorts of things. It's my favorite thing to do is be like, yay, let's learn. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like self-education is uh, undervalued sometimes. I think yeah. it's really easy that people think, oh, if I want to learn something, I have to go to college or I have right. to go to like an official official schooling, right? I totally. And 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Like higher great. education, yeah. great, whatever. I mean, I got a math degree. I get it. Also, I just love saying that I have a math degree. You know, That's whatever. so cool. I love that. <laughs> but outside of that, like we always talk about, oh, well, we didn't like, I mean, at least for people who go through the, through the system, right? Like we're always come out on the other side talking about, oh, well, I wish I had a class that taught me this, but then we right. never take anything that would teach us those things because self-education, right? There are people who are like, oh, well, it's just always going to be a fault because I never learned it in school. So how else am I going to get it? So right. I, I think it's really cool that you kind of like, well, first off, it's like a passion, but also it's like a thing that that allows for you to also be able to help other people. Yeah, and exactly. And in return, you know, make money. So it's great. You're, it's like, it's like, yeah. a, it's like a full circle system right there. Everybody wins. And you're right. Like it's, it's very easy. And I fall into this mindset as well of like, it's very easy to make, oh, I didn't learn that. Therefore I can't now of, oh, I won't, I, I don't know, like a common complaint. And I had this complaint too, after graduating, I was like, no one taught me about money, but then I bought a $7 book on it and I learned everything I needed to know about personal finance in six weeks. So I was like, okay, great. Like that's great. Like <laughs> That's all I needed was a $7 book. And you know, there's more resources than just one, but that sort of mindset I think is really helpful. But even in college, I think that's helpful because I would actually, this is, ooh, uh, ooh, no. my, oh, all right. So as I'm learning about business, as I'm reading these books, like off the clock, like not part of class or anything like that, I would be like, okay, these classes don't actually matter. So I'm going to fuck those up. I'm just going to screw those up. I'm going to get bad grades in these because I'm going to put more time towards the business in this area. And that was the skill I learned. I think the best professionals know when to drop the ball. The absolute best professionals don't put all of their effort into everything, period. That's a stupid way to live. But they know where the best effort is put. Here's an example. If you're weight training, let's say you have a very light weight. Let's say you're lifting a very light weight over your head. Are you putting max effort into that light weight? Are you going like, yeah, and like pushing every muscle? No, of course not. You're just lightly putting it up and you're lightly putting it down. You know how to put appropriate effort into that weight just intuitively because that's how our bodies work. But we don't do that with our careers. We refuse to learn how to do that with our careers. We think we need to whole ass absolutely everything. But intentionally half-assing the right things is one of the smartest things a pro can do. Because you can't whole ass everything. It's completely impossible and unsustainable. So one of the things I learned through books, through coaches, through all this stuff while I was at Berkeley was like, okay, nope, nope, yes, no, 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 yes, no, no, yes. And knowing where to triage the things that would fall through the cracks and that helped me a lot because while I was at school, I was the weirdo in the back while everyone else is reading orchestration books. I'm like, I'm going to read business books because I know that's what, like, this is a business. You, you, this, this is a, music is a business. Sound is a business. It's not, it's not for, we're not here for funsies. So why would you just be here for, why would you read the, why would you do every, what everyone else is doing? Why would you do that? That's silly. So I think having that self-teaching mindset, even in a teaching environment like school is very helpful as well. Because as you follow those interests, you become more unique than everyone else you're around. And thus, you can carve out your own little path and your own little niche in and out of school as well. But I went on a whole whole kind of tangent just now. No, I am here for... Okay, first off, I'm here for the tangents. I feel like tangent is like built into my name, you know? So Love it's it. fine it's, with me. I mean, <laughs> Definitely feel like Love that's it. part of like the gifts of the world. So here for it. <laughs> Secondly, like that is like some mind-blowing logic. Mostly because people don't say that in the no world. You know, that. people are like, oh, you have to put all your energy into all these things. And Total it's like, BS. how sustainable is that? I remember struggling so hard in school because I couldn't sustain it, right? Like, especially because like you have to take so many classes and those classes require so much work and effort and you have to do all these different things. But then I was also like working full time while going to school full time. 
environment. Oh my God. How am I supposed to function in all of this, right? And so I know for me, like, I felt bad that I wasn't perfect in all things at all the time. And I was like, I kept thinking, this this means I'm not a real adult. I'm, this means I'm not a real adult. I'm not a real adult because I can't do these things perfectly across the board all the time. And so that logic is something that I'm like, man, I wish somebody would tell me that sooner so I didn't have such like anxiety <laughs> in school. Like, because I was dying like mentally just because of it. And it was just like, oh my goodness. I mean, if some people, they don't need that. Yeah, some people, absolutely. they don't need it. And that's fine. But there are some people out there who absolutely need to like, learn that sort of um, management of mindset time and how to function and stuff like that. And so I, I don't know, I definitely would have valued for that. I mean, yeah. I still value from that, like even to this day. It's funny though. Like, I think, I think we do that intuitively to a degree in our lives. Like, like I mentioned the weight training example, but there are times where we know for a fact, if we're walking to the store and we know exactly where to go. Are we looking around every corner? No. Like we know intuitively to put less effort. But if we're in a new neighborhood, it's night and it's dark, we're putting more energy into it. Our eyes are up. We're, we're a little more aware. We're a little more alert. So we intuitively do put more and less effort into certain things. But I think people ignore that part of our humanity in their careers and real and thinking, like you said. I think people of color have way more self-imposed not wanting to be perfect than everyone else, especially because we have parents who tell us to work 20 times harder than everyone else. There's that reality too. So we need to realize like, okay, maybe we do need to work harder than everyone else, but we need to put that in the right place. We can't just put that into everything. Like, I, of course I half-assed my English classes. Of course I did. Like, that wasn't important to me. Of course I half-assed, like, the counterpoint classes that I knew wouldn't do anything for me. But for someone else, counterpoint would have been way more helpful. Great. Whole last that and ignore the game audio stuff that I put more effort into. Great. I wish the first class in school or anywhere, it was like, okay, your skill here isn't to be great at everything, but to learn where to half-ass, where to intentionally half-ass your work. That is your skill, because I think that would make a way bigger difference than thinking we need to do everything perfectly. And then when we think we need to do everything perfectly, what happens? Nothing. Because perfection is the slowest way to perfection. It's just when we try to become perfect, we never do. Per trying to be perfect is the slowest way of being perfect. And unfortunately, we were told we have to be. <laughs> so then, okay, so I, I agree. I agree yeah. with you. Like, perfection no. is the killer of joy. Yeah, God, yes. Okay. <laughs> Like some of my most unhappiest times was me trying to like strive for perfection. Even with like in this podcast, I was like, it has to be perfect before be I put perfect. it out. Right. I struggled so hard and I had so many, so many people. There was like three people who kept telling <laughs> me, I say so many, there was three of them who kept being like, you just do it anyways, just do it anyways. And I was like, no, it has to be perfect. And I had such it's so tough. a hard time. So tough. But that makes me just wonder, like, then how do you balance, I guess, the difference between like putting out things and being like, I don't know, imperfect. In yeah. It, but then also like, having it not be shitty quality for like yeah. a better term. You know? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think of it like if, you, if you've ever painted anything like a wall or something, you need to do multiple coats of paint, right? Like you can't just paint it once and be done. You have to paint, let it dry, paint over, let it dry. We need to let things dry. We need to achieve perfection on further attempts. We try to achieve perfection on the first attempt. We try to paint the whole wall with one coat of paint. So what I say to perfectionists, and me, because I am that, is, okay, go for perfection. Allow yourself to have perfection later on the next attempt. Let things dry. Go for it in the next attempt. 
be perfect in small ways. Okay, maybe you can't have a perfect podcast episode because that takes like a million hours to edit something that's like absolutely pristine and amazing. Okay, maybe you're going to make your cuts and your fades extremely well on this one. F everything else. Allow yourself to have a taste of the perfection. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because you can't tell perfectionist to not be a perfectionist. It's impossible. It doesn't work. You can't think, just do it. Like, no, that doesn't work with us. It just doesn't work with us. So allow yourself to go for perfection later. So what I say to myself when I'm doing things, I just say, oh, I'll just add another coat of paint later. And I always do. I always go back to it or in the next video or in the next podcast episode. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll do that next time. That'll add, make it more perfect. That'll, that'll be a future coat of paint. But I just need to let this dry right now. That's how I think about it. That is solid. That is so solid. Because I, I think about like my last episode that I put out, right? That had all the, the electronic noise in it. And like we were like not in sync because of like the <laughs> delay and everything. Like, it was just, it was just, it was so bad. And I felt so awful putting it out. But I was like, this episode has to go out. This is the date. What are you going to do? Like you did the best you could. But I felt like I, I had such anxiety around oh. it. Yeah. Especially when I think about like the progress that I've made from the beginning of recording podcasts and editing and myself and all that sort of stuff to where I am now. And I think, oh, my God, I've regressed so badly. Like, oh, people are just going to stop listening like, yeah. like instantly. Like this is the episode that's going to just turn everyone <laughs> Kills away. It all. Like, like, <laughs> like nobody's going to listen to me ever. Or worse than that, I think, oh, people are going to listen to this episode and they're never going to want to hire me again. That's not how it works, right? Like, that's why they have you when you make like, you know, audio reels or whatever for your work, you have multiple samples. It's not just one sample. But that's really great. I mean, I'll have to remind myself of that because I am the worst about the OCD perfectionist because I get so anal really quickly and I will hone in on this one thing that had nothing to do with nothing but in my mind I'm like no this is the thing I have to I have to attack this and it's like that great you spent all day doing that one thing did it really help you in the long run do you still have this pile of work over here to do yes yes okay yeah it does nothing yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) exactly that's that's some solid advice man I You're so like, sweet. Look, like, let, like, let's just talk about things. Like, You're so I, sweet. I, like, <laughs> You're so awesome. kind. That's I, what I want to be is helpful to people. That's my goal. I love it. No, this is this is fantastic. This oh, is this so is kind. going better than I thought it would. I'm not gonna lie. I, I was I wasn't sure. I thought you. Were you came in and be like, oh, this guy. Ooh. No. <laughs> <laughs> not so much that. As so much as just like the lack of familiarity with people. Right. Yeah. Like I just. Okay, I know, like, the world tells me that I'm an extroverted person. Like, people are like, oh, my God, Tangela, you're extroverted all the way. You're you're out there person. And I'm like, yeah, but about that, right? My best friend's always telling me, like, Tangela, you are extroverted with introverted tendencies. Like, calm down. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, I'm an introvert all the way. She's like, lies. <laughs> but... <laughs> But because I feel that way, I, I know that sometimes I develop anxiety around, like, meeting new people or, yeah, like, trying to reach out and, like, email people and, like, trying to, like, go through that process of, like, all right, well, take me seriously enough to, like, trust me to, like, be on the show and not just completely hate me. That'd be great. I mean, your email that? to me was fantastic. So <laughs> I was like, well, oh, this you. is great. Yeah. This is I wrote it I 10 this. times. <laughs> That's I will not I do lie the same. to you. I wrote it 10 times. Somebody told me that what I need to do is just get like one of those uh, CRMs and just have like the automated emails. Like, so that way it's like 
pre-slated sets yeah. of words, so that way every time I email somebody, I don't have to rewrite. The Just email fill in different blanks, text. and then you're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, then then I have to have a CRM, and then I have to manage right. a CRM. You have to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> Something else that I thought of while you were saying all of that earlier about imperfection, doing things, whatever. Okay, because you have like four, five. Okay, so there's the sound designing for the video games. Yep. You do the blog. Yep. You do the speaking events. Mm-hmm. You now have the podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's like four different things. Mm-hmm. So then how do you, I guess, manage all of that so that way you're still giving it a reasonable amount of effort to still yeah. be good without, you know not being crappy yeah right that's a great (laughs) question so here here's my analogy brain coming out so i think of it like you're driving a car so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a question i'll put you a little bit on the spot uh it's a it's an easy question don't worry um so uh, do you know do you drive do you have a car i I do drive i do have a car perfect what's the correct speed to drive whatever is posted and or the speed of which people around you are driving it's a combination of both so it's the answer is basically it depends, right? Yes. Perfect. That is true of us too because the thing is when we think of our work, we think of it as needing to drive our car the same speed 100% of the time. We think 50 miles per hour is the right speed to drive. But in reality, sometimes we slow down. Sometimes we hit a stoplight. Sometimes we need to take a left turn. Sometimes we see a curb and need to go around it. Sometimes we see one of those little islands. Sometimes our car breaks down. Sometimes we park it and then we walk away from the car. I see it the same way. Sometimes we stop other things so we can do other things. Sometimes we speed up because we have a lot of leeway in front of us, a highway in front of us, because maybe I don't have a bunch of projects happening currently. I think of it that way. So instead of thinking, I need to do all of this all the time, I allow myself, I see yellow lights here. Oh, okay, I'll slow down over here. Oh, this is a green light over here. I'll speed up and I'll go through that because I have a lot of leeway and a lot of fun and interest in that. And I follow my interest in that. I allow other things to kind of go a little slower, have a little less time associated with them if I'm more interested in another thing. So for example, I haven't posted to my YouTube in like a year now because I've been so interested in Instagram and writing more and more. Great. Fantastic. YouTube has a red light right now. I've parked the car and I've walked away. I'll come back to it. Car's still going to be there. I don't need to idle it that whole time. It'll still be there. I can come back to it. But I, I think of it that way. It's like, oh, I'll just make time to the things I'm interested in. Because if I'm, do, if I'm pushing nonstop at like, oh, God, I hate this. Let me just keep going for the rest of my life. It will make it so I don't want to do it ever again, right? So I think of it that way. Not so much, oh, I need to put equal time into all of these. I let things slide and stop here and there and then speed up in other areas. Okay. I get that. But then mm-hmm. how do you make sure that you're not like falling off? So like with YouTube, right? Like oh, there's like yeah. the whole algorithm. I mean, fine, whatever. Who cares, right? Like, But there's a level that could turn into like being fickle right like so you're always like starting something but then you know you quit it or whatever so then how you make sure you're not doing that version of it yeah i think that's actually okay i think quitting is one of the most professional things a human can do because amateurs stick to things professionals quit period because if you know like this isn't working fuck it that is a smart move because amateurs will say i need to stay with this forever and then get no results let me spin my wheels for the rest of time like that's what they do and we've all, i've dealt with that i'm sure you've dealt with it we've all dealt with it and i think when it's something like eh eh be fickle change your mind 
that's awesome. I think that's a really, really good thing. Consistency is an interesting thing. Everyone thinks it needs to be the, like the car, the same speed forever. But so long as you're doing something that interests you, I think that's fine, honestly. The only thing I would consider is stay in the same realm. So, for example, let's say you're making content. Keep making content. Just do it in different ways of what interests you. It doesn't have to always be YouTube. It can be Instagram. It can be podcasts. It can be whatever that is interesting you, interesting you at that point in time. But it's okay to bounce. It's totally okay to bounce from time to time. One thing that I recommend people ask themselves is if they become the best at that thing in the world tomorrow, would it make them any happier? For example, if someone said to me, You'll, if you woke up tomorrow and you'd be the best sound designer in the world, would it make you happier? I'd be like, no, I don't really actually care that much. I'm a business person who does audio, not the other way around. So, But if someone said, you would be a, the best podcaster in the world, would that make you happy? I'd be like, yes, absolutely, 100%. Oh, there's my interest. I'm just going to follow that. Great, fantastic. I'll do less sound design stuff. Fantastic, great, no problem. So that's how I recommend thinking about things too is – if you get happier being the best at that thing, stick through the shitty part. Stick through it. If it doesn't, if it's just something you're like, eh, I'm just kind of doing it to do it, eh, do it, I guess. Like, get the experience, gather data. Like, it's fun to try things. Everyone should keep trying things 100%. But if it's just, if you woke up the next day and it wouldn't make you happier to be best in the world at that, why? What? What are you, what? Why are you wasting that time? Where? <laughs> gather data, try things, see where your interests lie. And that's more, I think that's more effective in the long term. Short term, maybe you'll be seen as fickle. Fine. Long term, I think you'll get a lot more done. Man, I feel like you're just like saying everything counter to anything I've ever heard in my life. That's me in my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned that everything counter for me at least works. So oh, like every, the advice I got growing up was like, stick to one thing forever. Hate it. Hate yourself. Die. And that's the advice I still hear in the music fields, uh, audio field, et cetera, et cetera. So yo, let me put it this way. The hedgehog. Let's take the example of the humble hedgehog. A, a lovely animal. So cute. Love a, he love, love a hedgehog. And for those who listen to the audio, I'm just cupping it cutely in my hands. I love hedgehogs. They're so cute. Hedgehogs do one thing. Hedgehogs do literally one thing. They just sit there and they have spikes come out of them. That's it. That's what a hedgehog does. Hedgehogs are very specialized creatures. They have spikes. Period. I don't know, that's man. They, they run do. really fast. And they, well, okay, yes, they can move. But yes, they're like, that's what they do. They're great at, they're a great defensive animal. I love them. They're so cute. Now let's take the example of a fox. Foxes do a lot of shit. Foxes run around. Foxes play. Foxes can be domesticated. Foxes can dig. Foxes can bury. Foxes can be, live in trillions of different environments. There are Arctic foxes. There are foxes that live closer to hot climates. There are foxes that live in medium temperate climates. Some people are hedgehogs. Some people like to do just one thing. They're just like, yep, this is what I do. I'm a hedgehog. Great. Nothing wrong with that. Some people, like me, are foxes. I think most people are foxes. I think most people tend to be interested in lots of different things. So just acknowledge if you're a fox, be one. Do it. Play around. Dig things. Look for rabbits. And then sleep. It's fine. Like, play around. It's very, very cool. It's okay to do that. But don't try to be both. Don't think, okay, I need to do one thing for the rest of my life. But also look at those other things that I'm depriving myself of and I'm less happy as a result of the deprivation I'm giving myself. It's a good idea to at least acknowledge who, what your nature is in that regard. I'm a fox, 100%. Like I, if you said, do only sound design or do only podcasting or do only YouTube for the rest of your life, I'd be like, oh, God, kill me. <laughs> no, thank you. And maybe that's true of you too. I'm not sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
No, if I had to do one thing for forever, it's why I've always struggled. Like up until I guess like recently, more like the last couple of few years, whatever. <laughs> uh, I was like, how many years has it been? I don't know. That's not the point. Uh, up until the more recent times, I definitely always struggled with that because like when I was in school and yeah. stuff, and oh everybody's God, like, oh, yeah. you got to go get a job, and I was like, well. <laughs> what job am I going to get that encompasses all these things? And then I was like, my life plan is to do this, but then how am I supposed to do that while doing these things? And I struggled because the answer that people gave me was you stay in one spot until you're done and then you move on. And so basically the way that I internalized that was that I wasn't going to be able to do anything I actually really wanted until I retired. And then I was like, but who retires anymore? Like who retires? Who Doesn't retires happen anymore? Like we don't live in a society where that's really a thing anymore. And so I was just like, so by that logic, I will die never doing the things that I really wanted to do. Scary, right? And so I just I quickly learned that that was not for me, but I didn't know how to really break out of that really. And so I guess more recently, I've I feel like I flailed a lot i'm still flailing in some ways but i'm not as upset by that flailing and it's more like i i voice it to like my core people there's three of them <laughs> they listen to me regularly and i am so thankful for them because i'm sure they're probably sick of listening to me and my like, <laughs> anxiety ridden ideas and then after i usually say it to them we go through all the pros and cons write it all out. I'm a huge fan of writing things out. I have so many journals. And then at the end of it, I start building plans. Once I get past that, it's like, okay, well, how do I build a plan around this? How do I find a way to make these things happen? And so that's been more recent for me, but it's definitely leans more into the whole Fox metaphor that you were going with that. That's more of my personality. That's more of the things I've always wanted to do. I just didn't know how to get there. So it took me my way of learning how to function into that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I've noticed that. And I don't think this is a bad thing. Like we're, We are very lucky to have grown up in a culture that, you know, goals are cool now. Right. I think in our parents era and when we were little, like goals weren't cool. Like you're super lame if you like thought of goals and you thought of what you want for your life. And even then, like you'll still be kind of considered weird here and there. If that's how you think about your life, like you're making pro and con lists, I'm sure some people be like, what? But I think it's awesome. I think that's the coolest thing. But that stuff is becoming more common and more accepted. But one thing I kind of like to remind people of is when we are thinking of goals, when we are thinking of what we want and stuff, goals sometimes can be a bit of a detriment because they they assume that we know what we want. And I don't think most people, myself included, know what we want because it's very hard to know until we try the thing and until we're in it and until we're on the other side of it where we're like oh eh (laughs) like that wasn't like i know a lot of very 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 well-known composers some are very happy and some are absolutely dead-ass miserable like some of some of the ultra high-end composers i know are some of the most miserable people i've ever met in my life because they're like oh this is the thing i said i wanted but i followed this goal and now what now what i bought my third house and i'm empty inside so i think following yeah. interests have a lot more like for us people like foxes following interests are a little more important than for just following like the one thing the goal the ultimate vision blah 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 cuz the changes right i'm sure when you were 17 what you wanted was very different than what it is now and maybe even tomorrow it'll change right it's fine that's great that's fantastic Actually, it's not. That's really okay, oh, maybe so you're different. Then. I am so strange in this way. 
So because I've always been an avid journaler in general, not Love necessarily it. in the same capacity. Like I like the way I journal has changed over the years, but I've always been huge on writing out my thoughts. If you ever wanted to know the true Tangela, read whatever it is that I wrote. I would doodle on homework pages. Like if you ever wanted to know me, read whatever I wrote so on funny. doodles or in my journal. And so I go back and I read those random pieces of paper that I wrote out a whole bunch of crap in. And it's always been the same three things in terms of my professional life. Now, personal life, those things have changed and looked a little different. But in terms of my career, yeah, it's always been the same thing. I've always wanted to be a live sound engineer. Done. I've always wanted to own my own studio, have my own studio currently working on that so check nice and i've always wanted to have a platform in which i could be creative and talk with people and share done check (laughs) that came in the form of podcasting so the only thing that's different is that i also wanted to design sound equipment which is why i got a math degree so that's that's the only thing that i haven't been able to check off just yet but i i know that at some point in life that that's going to happen but it's just not in this current moment but that's like the only thing that's not checked off so yeah so my my life has pretty much remained the same since i was i think what's in terms of goals since i was 17 that i think what's so interesting about you then is that i think you might be really in touch with your intuition right like you you might be really in touch with like oh this is what i want great done that's fantastic. That's rare. That's really rare. Like I, it took me many, 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 many years to get in touch with that. I think for me, the biggest thing is just that I wasn't particular on how I got nice. to it. I think that's like the difference. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I really want to be a sound engineer for like, let's say I really want to work on Broadway musicals. Like that's the only thing that I want to do. And if I'm not a live sound engineer for Broadway musicals, then I'm not a real right. sound engineer. So I've failed. Right. And <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I would love to work on Broadway musicals. If that was something that was supposed to be in my life, by all means, I will take it. But I don't think I was ever super particular on this is the absolute end goal. It was always a lot more general. I like that. It was a lot more broad. And so it allowed for me to be able to check them off in terms of accomplishing those goals because they were a lot more general instead of it being incredibly, incredibly specific. Now, if you want to be incredibly specific, Great. By all means, yeah. you know, go do that. But that just wasn't the way that I functioned or was able to like write out when I thought about those things. So yeah, yeah. I'm weird though. No, I mean, I mean we all are. I'm, I'm here for it's it. The best but, part, you know, it's the best part is we all are. All the creatives are, and it's so good. I like it. I I don't know. I just I like being me though as yeah. well. Yeah. Like I think, uh, personality wise, I really suit me. <laughs> I love that. That's really good. I'm gonna steal that. You can, by all means, take it. I really it. suit me. That's very good. There was something I thought about while you were talking before. We are still technically in a global pandemic, however you want to view that tomfoolery that's happening in the outside world. So what kind of advice, I guess, would you give somebody who is trying to lean into their foxness and trying to pivot through the world right now and how to go about like doing that in a successful, sustainable, productive insert those words into a meaning kind of a way? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think I think one thing that a lot of people can be thinking about now, I'm not thinking I'm not going to say should, but would be of best interest to start thinking about is a lot of us in audio or any any artistic medium where we're freelancing or doing our own thing in some way, 
we tend to think of clients, right? We want, a hi- we want a client to hire us. We do the thing. We go home. Great. We get paid. Fantastic. Nothing wrong with that. Getting clients is great. Always, always good to have clients. One thing to think about, though, is to start thinking of building an audience instead of just customers. So, for example, clients, customers, they'll pay you to do a thing. You show up. You do the thing. They pay you. You go home. Great. End of transaction. Nothing wrong with that. Fantastic. But having an audience means that you have people who are excited to see what you do next. You have people actually actively engaging with you and your content or whatever it is, your brand, for lack of a better word, all the time. And when you have that, your business becomes so much more resilient than someone who's just focused on getting clients. Because once the clients dry up, the clients dry up. But you can always have an audience. Here's an example. Apple has an audience. They do not have customers. They have an audience. They absolutely have an audience. Oprah does not have watchers. She has an audience. People want to see what these people do next. Even though I like I love Apple, like I have all Apple things, even though I don't necessarily like follow all the latest news trends or anything like that with Apple, when a new thing comes out, I always look every single time. I always look 100% of the time because I'm part of their audience. I'm always interested and engaged in what they're doing. And you, the way you build an audience is exactly what you're doing. You give. That's the best way to build an audience. Now, there's a different kind of scale between us and Apple or us and Oprah or something like that. But the easiest way to start doing it is you either share stuff, either whether it be your process or things you're doing or little tips or things like that, or like what you're doing, you're interviewing other people. You're getting people's insights. You're adding your insights to other people's, which I think is amazing. That's like a multiplication effect of, of helping people. Those are ways that we can build audiences. And once you start doing that, it becomes way more resilient, even in downturns like 2020, because you still have people saying, what are they going to do next? I'll buy their thing or I'll jump in on whatever they're up to or I'll be interested in going to one of their talks, anything like that. They'll be interested in whatever it is you're doing. And that just helps everybody. I think it's a really smart way to go about things. It doesn't mean clients are bad. It just means building an audience is a good way to resiliencify, if that is your, if that is a word, your business, as a freelancer especially. I don't know if it's a word, but I'm, I want to make it as a word. <laughs> I, mean, I definitely want to like slap it on a t-shirt, you know, resiliencified. You know, <laughs> like I, I'm here for it. <laughs> that's such a great one. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I think that's why people encourage freelancers, entrepreneurs, whatever, to do things like have podcasts or make YouTube channels or grow your Instagram or, you know, my favorite, make an emailing list. Yes, Uh, 100%. You know, it's because it allows for you to convert people. And sometimes, you know, especially like with emailing lists, there's such value in having people's emails, right? There's both monetary and non-monetary value and having access to people and being like, oh, I'm not spamming you, but here's something I think you might be interested in. Here's something that I, I think might add value to you if you're already interested in doing these things. But because I mean, we're not trying to be out here being con artists or anything. Right. You know, like, we're not right. trying to sell yes. people things they don't, they don't need, right. right? But I think that that's part of it is having that audience. I think that's why that's such a huge push in the world in general right now and specifically with people creating podcasts yes. i think it's it's a huge 
reasoning for that. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people when I say this, like, oh god, but I'm not famous. I can't possibly build an audience. But I think the smaller, small is fine. Like, there's nothing. I'm, I'm not famous at all by any means, but it's still good to have a small audience. And I, I like the quote. There's a guy named Pat Flynn who. You know, he runs a website called Smart Passive Income. Great guy, teaches podcasting and all that. But he says the riches are in the niches, right? Like the smaller you're and more focused you are, the more kind of effect that you have. So I could be saying all this self-development stuff in general outside of the audio world, and it'd be a lot harder, basically impossible to get like purchase. But if I am talking to audio people about the same stuff that we're talking about already, it's way easier for them to be like, whoa never heard that before because it's to a specific audience even if they've heard it a thousand times before i think that's one of the reasons why i like what you're doing first off but also why i like gravitated to like the six-figure home studio podcast or now sorry it's called the six-figure creative i gotta get used to that still okay (laughs) my brain is not there yet but one of the reasons why I gravitate to both of y'all's content is because I worked so hard on trying to understand business in a non-audio world and then trying to figure out how to apply that to the world of audio. And let me tell you, that was some difficult stuff. Easy. I know people are like, just read books and you'll know. And I'm like, yeah, but when people give you examples and it's in a world that you're not familiar with, it makes it difficult to then make that connection to the world that you are actually 100%. a part of. And so I super get that like i understand like the whole niching down and staying within a certain context and and doing it that way because i i know for me like that's been a huge help because they did relate things back to something that i actually was trying to do like how do i go about setting prices you know people are like oh yeah pricing you know it's just like the con and then they give you like these equations and you're like <sighs> yeah but half of these things in this equation don't even apply to me. Like I don't have to worry about international sales, right? Or, you know, going to manufacturers or, like, or like whatever and stuff like, yeah, like we don't have to think about <laughs> yeah. that as much as, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So yeah, I, I, that didn't actually lead to anything. I just thought, of no, you're right though. You're, you're so right. And that's actually something to, to go back to an earlier point. You mentioned like, Oh, how did you get into this? I noticed there's nothing for us out there on business skills, there was like so little to nothing. And the one stuff that was there was by old people who were frankly wrong. So I now there's more and I'm super happy. There's way more now and it makes me very happy. But when I was first starting, uh, there's just, just nothing. There's absolutely nothing. Like it just didn't apply to us. It was all like graphic design stuff. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's great. But I don't know how to apply this logo pricing to what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's why niching down is a huge value to people. So like, I know a lot of people think niching down, it's like, oh, that's like you're cutting off all these people. But I feel like when you try to reach everyone, I feel like I've heard this said, when you try to reach everyone, you basically reach no one because you're speaking to too many people. And I think like with a lot of the things that's going on nowadays, like everybody's like, Oh, well, you just got to jump into it and just do it. It's like, yeah, but you got to you got to find your audience. You got to visualize who that is. You got to think about who it is that you can actually add value to and how you can help them instead of it just being like this blanket statement of just we're going to help everyone. Yeah, it just doesn't work. So, yeah, no, that's really cool. Jeez, man. You have such great. You are so sweet. Thank you. You're a great interviewer. You're asking really good questions. Thank you. I always hope that my questions aren't like like questions that people ask all the time no i'm picking up tips from you i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm learning from you i'm gonna steal some you've been podcasting longer than me i'm gonna steal some of your your techniques this is good oh cool (laughs) i I mean i don't know if i have any but hey cool (laughs) 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm here for it, though. I mean, hey, if you get value out of it, no matter what it is, I'm it's here fantastic. for it. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I guess to get to one of the questions I actually wrote down. Yeah. So you started off with sound designing. And then you kind of put that up. I mean, you still, still do Oh, yeah, 100%. Designing. I'm still doing yeah, it. Yeah, like you're still. Every like day. You're still, like, that's like a still. Like a. F- full time. I was going to say full time yep, job. Totally. And then now you're moving into like doing all of the the business stuff and sharing that sort of aspect with people. Why not talk about sound design? Like, why not go and do that as like part of the side hustle business? Like, uh, or like the different facets that are you, right? Like, why not make that like as like something that you can also share with people? It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I did do a lot of that on YouTube for like, I like posted a video a week for like three years straight on, on sound design specifically. And at that point I was like, I've said everything I have to say on, on this stuff. Like I am making a sound design course right now, but I'm doing it out of my own interest because it comes from a more meta point of view, because a lot of people who start in sound design, open their DAW, open a Reaper or logic or whatever, and then get frozen. They're like, what do I do now? So my course, my sound design course, that's going to be coming later this year is about dealing with that. It's like, okay, here are steps you can take here are frameworks of sound design you can use to make it. So it's easier to deal with that. But if it's literally just, here's how you design a jump sound or things like that, that has lost complete and utter interest to me. But I, if I can talk about from a more meta point of view or a larger point of view, a broader point of view of like creativity and using that as a vector for dealing with like that creative paralyzation that we all deal with, that's interesting to me. That's very interesting to me. But if it's literally just the raw thing of pure sound design, I think other people, one, do it way better than me. And two, I am not as interested as those people who are better than me at it too. So they'll always beat me no matter what. So I might as well do something that I feel that is fun. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, I mean, I don't know about sound design in specific, but I do feel like there's a lot of audio videos out there totally. in the world just in general now. Yep covering so many different topics so it it is sort of one of those things where it's like i'm not going to be the first person i think somebody told me or heard it or read it or something i don't know who it's accredited to but somebody said it that if you're not going to be the first at something then you have to find the way to be the best at something Uh. and if you're not going to be the best at something then you have to find a way to put your own unique spin on whatever it is that you're doing And so I think that that's kind of what you're talking about. Is like you're not going to be the first because Internet. internet's existed <laughs> for however long it's been now. You don't feel like you're the best. I mean, nah, I don't know. Yeah. You nope. said it, not I me. No. Nope. <laughs> so then it's like the only thing that's left is to find a way to put your own unique creative spin on something. And so I feel like that's what you're kind of referring yeah, to. I think the, that's kind of great. There's a quote by a guy named Naval Ravikant, who's like a modern day philosopher, and I love him so much. But he has a great quote related to what you just said of be the best in the world at what you do. Redefine what you do until that's true. And I love that. Love that. It's so true. The Naval rules. <laughs> that guy kicks ass. Naval Ravikant. Baller. Man, I wish I was good at quoting things. I'm not good at it. I just I remember like the general essence of what sure. people say, but I I never remember the specific words. So the fact that you just like pulled oh. that out of the air just now just like blew my I, mind. I was just like, ah, man. I actually have a system for that. I have like flashcards that I do every day. I have a thing called the second brain or Zettelkasten, which is a memorization system and like a note taking system. I'm hardcore about learning, so like. It's not just me pulling it out. Like I have literally like a system in place to make sure I have recall for things that matter to me. (laughs) That is so cool. Are you kind of like that guy? uh, 
Oh, he's on YouTube and he is. What is his name? Abba? No, Abraham. Oh, um, oh, I know he's who you're talking about. A, a the t- doctor. Yes, in like the UK. Ali Abdal. Ali That's his name. He's like yes, I'm the first I love that guy. I graduated first in my yeah, whatever, that guy's whatever amazing. thing. Okay. Like, yeah, I follow so, his are, stuff. Okay, so my question is, are you like him in terms of like the way that you study and trying stuff? Trying to be. Like, are you like yeah. that person? Yeah, trying to be. Okay. Yeah, I've learned a lot from his systems and I've made my own and learned a lot from other people who are into similar stuff. But yeah, I use like an example for people who are like curious. There's a there's a form of note taking called Zettelkasten, and I won't spell that because it's an easy way to Google it. You can just call it building a second brain. It means basically the second same thing. But there's a doctor, a German doctor in like the 1500s who wrote 500 books using this system because it is a way of organizing our data and our notes. And he did it by hand back then in such a way that our notes improve over time instead of being forgotten. Right. Most of the time we take a note and then two years later we're like, we don't remember it. We don't know what was in it. We don't look at it. That's for sure. We don't scroll all the way two years ago in our Evernote. That doesn't happen. Rarely. And so this system kind of deals with that. And then I also use a a, a website called Readwise, readwise readwise.io, that gives me flashcards every day of things I've highlighted or thoughts that I've had in the past. So I reread those flashcards, like five to ten of those a day, to help me remember stuff like the Valravikant quotes or whatever. (laughs) Man, that's super It's great. I love it. I wish they had that for like a manual way because I suck at typing. Oh, there is a manual (laughs) way. It's actually originally a note card system. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'm gonna look into that. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm always trying to like be better about like remembering things and stuff like that. Because, like I said, I'm really great at like remembering the essence of things, but I can never right. remember specific words or like the guy's name. I was like, I could tell you his story, right. but I couldn't tell you what his name was. <laughs> like, hundred percent. That's like me all day, every day. Like, I remember in school when I like first went off to college. Actually, something people used to get mad at me for. By the way, random thing to be mad at somebody for <laughs> is like I would meet these people and I they would tell me their stories and I could tell you their stories back to you any day of the week. And I could point them out and be like, this is that person's story if I saw their face. If you asked me what their oh, name yeah. was, I could not tell you. I have no idea what your name is. But I know your whole story. I can give it back to you in complete detail. And I could point to them and be like, this is who it is. <laughs> People did not like That's... that, apparently. That's not a way to make friends, so don't do that to them. <laughs> but it's still, like, relevant to me today, and it's so frustrating because I'm like, but I wish I could remember other details that weren't, that were attached to that instead of just, like, the essence. You're, yes, yes. I have name blindness as well. I'll forget all the time. Oh, is, is that the name for it? I don't it? know if that's a, a name I didn't, for No, it? I just made that up. I don't know if there's a name for oh, it, but okay. I just made that up. But I forget people's names all the time. I was supposed to be like, oh, my God, I didn't know I had, like, an official title. I'm here for it. Name blindness. Yes. Maybe I made that up. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Even if you did, I'm, I'm still Great. Mad. Steal Look, it. <laughs> done. Now we're, what, two for two? Two for two. Perfect. <laughs> At least officially, unofficially. I don't know. But yeah, no, name blindness. Oh, goodness. No, I'm here for that. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut this No, you're good. I love it. Okay, so how about at this point, you tell us more about your podcast. I know we've hinted at it, and we've kind of talked around it. (laughs) But we'd be a little bit more specific with it. Sure, yeah, happy to. Yeah, it's called called Sound (laughs) Business with Akash Thakar, and it is all about 
interviewing people from every single corner of the audio world. So educators, plug-in makers, performers, pop stars, game audio people, any, everybody from the like corners of audio on how they, quote-unquote, made it. You know, that means different things to different people, and I think that's great. And also the kind of business and mindset things that they use to get through, especially the hard parts. Because, you know, so many people deal with a lot of hard shit when you're doing a creative career. It's much, much harder. So, for example, you know, I had, a, I had my, one of my first guests, Disaster Piece, is an incredible video game composer, done music for games like Fez and all sorts of other stuff. He, he talks about how to deal with saying no to a really famous gig and then seeing the posters of that thing that he said no to for the rest of his life. Like, imagine saying no to a game that's so big that all you see are commercials of it, right? Like, how do you deal with that sort of stuff? How do you deal with maybe you get turned down for a really big project and now you see that project being shoved in your face all the time? Or how do you say no to clients? Or how do you charge for your work? Or all these sorts of things I want to get into the heads of people in all sorts of different audio fields of especially because everyone's different. Everyone's going to quote unquote make it in a different way. Like your path is going to be radically different than mine. And that's awesome. And I think that's great. But also maybe they can offer advice to people who may be in a similar spot. That's I can't offer advice to because I'm a different person than them that will help those people and also expose audio people to the millions of ways there are to make a good living off of music and sound, right? Like you're doing live sound. That's very different than what I'm doing of game audio where I don't see anything live. I'm just here in my room all the time. I'm not dealing with live musicians very often or anything like that. And even if I am, I'm not at the board or anything like that. I would write music and they play and someone else is helping me engineer it and stuff like that. So I want to expose people to the idea like, oh, there's so many different ways to do audio for a living, whether it be programming plugins or teaching or making sound or doing live sound or things like that. I think I just want to get that out there too. Yeah, that's really cool. I I completely agree with you. I think that's one of the reasons why I also really liked doing my podcast as well was like I got to open both my own mind, but then like other people's minds about what is possible in the world of audio. Because a lot of people think, oh, if you're going to go into audio, you're a starving musician, right. you know, like on the side of the road somewhere begging people for money. I, I don't know why we're all like starving musicians yeah, totally. if we're creative, but apparently that's like the analogy everyone uses. Like my family asked me the same thing. They're like, so are you going to be like, poor are you gonna like need financial assistance and i was like if i do it right no right exactly <laughs> you know and so i think it's great when people try to highlight those types of uh other areas in which people can be successful in the world of audio i think you mentioned something really important just now of like you know your parents being like so you're are you gonna are you gonna be okay you're gonna be living in a box or whatever like i think there's this there's this pervasive undercurrent of that in any creative field, not just audio, right? Of like, oh, you're going to be creative. Oh, God. Oh, no. You're going to be so poor. And I see where that comes from. I 100% see where that comes from because you do need to make your own way in this field. Like, yes, absolutely get help from other people. It's not like 100% you. That's not possible. But you do need to be a self-motivated person. You do need to read the books on you. Like no one's going to read them for you and then tell you everything. And you just sit back eating grapes. Like you do have to do a lot of the stuff on your own to help yourself. And there's this, I think that is very fair because it is also very common. And I think this is very appealing to a lot of people. And I completely understand of getting a job and having it be safe for the rest of their lives. Like there is an appeal to that. 
And saying that you're not doing that is very scary to like, especially the previous generation where they were told more to get a job, stay in it forever, and it'll be safe. And they had that. That was actually true back then where a job could be safe. It doesn't exist now. It it absolutely doesn't. Like even the best jobs, people get fired 24-7. Like layoffs happen all the time, no matter how much money they have. So I think there's an interesting disconnect too where they don't quite yet realize that the world has changed so much that the very idea of even becoming a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, even that has risks and is unsafe, unlike the things that you know we do. But I think they feel that, oh, there's just infinite risk to what we do. And becoming, in your case, you know, tell, being told to be an engineer, 100% safety no matter what. I don't think people realize that that's not true anymore. No, no, it's not. I think also, though, on a personal level i think it it means that you have to redefine what success means very true i think that that's part of it as well and i think that when you have to think about i think it can be difficult when one has to sit down and think well what does success mean what does it look like to be successful and can i achieve it by not doing these things or can i achieve it by doing these things and i think that that sometimes is is a really hard question to answer for me, I took some time. I had to redefine what success meant. Success for me, because like growing up for me, like especially growing up poor and in a community that is not usually heavily educated, mm-hmm. um, at least from from my community, people barely graduated high school if they even went to high school at all. Like there's a lot of people that I knew, family members or whatever, they dropped out in junior high school. So high school was like, oh man, you done did something there, you know? let alone like be like, oh, yeah, go to college. Like, what? I was doing that, you know? And so for me, success was heavily defined as how much money do I have? If I have money, then I'm successful. If I don't have money, then I'm not successful. And so it took me a while to work through that. I mean, yes, I want to have money. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be out here homeless on the streets. But that's not the only defining factor for what success means and so i don't know i think i think there's just just that 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 adds to sort of what you were talking about yeah yeah and i think i think that's something we are extremely lucky to have where we can start to define it like there's something we should think especially our immigrant parents for is that they couldn't necessarily have that kind of choice where we do Right. Like I, I, I realized something very recently that, you know, uh, very common in Indian culture of like doctor, lawyer, failure, engineer, like those are like kind of the choices. Right. I remember thinking like, oh, they just like for most of my life, I thought, OK, like they want obviously they want safety. Fine. That makes sense. Uh, they also like there is a little bit I don't know if this is true of your or your kind of culture and your upbringing, but there is definitely a little bit of like the uncles and aunties talking to each other being like, oh, my kid's a doctor. Ha ha ha. And like, yep. okay, same. Okay. So I <laughs> absolutely I learned something recently and something that kind of changed my viewpoint on this because for a bit I was like, oh, they're just looking for status for me. Bad, bad, bad. And I didn't like that. But something I learned recently is that like, especially for, for my parents moving from India, I learned like, oh, wait, no, like that might be a part of it, but maybe not as much as I thought. I think what they're trying to do is like moving from a different company or being in, you know, being a minority in in a like the city I grew up in is very racist and super white, like a middle of nowhere can- Canadian town. Like being in that community, you have to hold on to your dignity as hard as you humanly can. 
And this is a way for them to bring some of that up. Like they don't have, they will never have as much dignity as the people who are born here, like as the white people who are like growing up here. And then I realized, oh, this is why. Like part of this is them finding a way to make it so that I and maybe they have more dignity in their day-to-day life. Like it brings some of that back that they lost when they moved all the way here and basically sacrificed everything, at least in my case, for moving from India and not speaking English or anything like that. They're just getting it back or doing something that they can to make sure that I have some. And when I realized that, I was like, oh, shit, this is why. That makes all the difference in the world. So what I started doing then, uh, what I realized when I was talking to my mom, especially dad, dad, my dad's way more chill. But my mom, when I was talking to my mom, uh, I like you know they would always be like, "When are you being a doctor?" Like you know the standard stuff for for an Indian upbringing. They would always ask like, "How's work?" and all that, and they'd always ask like very worried things because they would assume that I'm like destitute and poor and stuff because I'm an artist and all that. And when I realized this whole dignity thing, I realized, wait, they're not asking how successful I am. They want to know if I have any dignity. So what I started saying was, instead of saying, oh, no, my work's so good. Like, I just did this. I just gave this talk. I just have this project. None of that I mention anymore. All I say now is, mom, don't worry. I never need to worry about food again for the rest of my life. That changed the dynamic completely in our, like, we always got along. But, like, it made it so much better and so much more wholesome between us. When I started realizing, oh, this is why she's asking. It's not about the job. It's not about success. It's not about being a doctor. It's about reclaiming some of that. That's why. And so I started saying that. I just say, like, I have enough food to last forever. I don't have to worry about it. I can buy food on my own. They never asked about work ever again. It changed. They never ask about it now because now they know. And that was a huge mind shift for me. Man, that... That gives me a lot to think about. Ugh. Man, you just made me want to sit back and think. I That's, like, my like, That's my goal. That's my goal. Oh mind. Whole mind. No, shift I, when, when I noticed like, the dignity oh. thing, I bawled my eyes out for like two days when I realized like the truth you, of it. You almost, you almost made me start. Crying yeah, no, now, it's a, actually it's... while you were telling me that, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, when I realized that, whew, it hit me hard. Oh man, yeah, it, it, especially because like. I'm not gonna cry. cry. I refuse to let you make me cry. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Jeez. Oh man. (laughs) We're having a whole moment now. That's not okay. I mean, it's okay. Of course, I know what you mean. (laughs) Oh goodness. Okay. Um. Oh my goodness. Okay. We talked about the podcast. I guess at this point, uh, the last thing there is to talk about is your most recent, um, your most recent sound design. Yeah, that you're doing yeah. So with the the video game. Yeah. What is it? Something outer wild. Outer wilds. Outer wilds. Outer wilds. Outer wilds. So what's confusing is that there's a different game called Outer Worlds, and there's also Outer oh. Wilds, and they are different. <laughs> Um, but I'm on Outer Wilds with an I. Uh, and so I didn't do this. Out- so th- basically, Outer Wilds was this massively successful indie game that was released in 2019 for PC and PS4 and Xbox and all that stuff. Or I think PS4 or Xbox. A bunch of systems. PC at least. And uh, I didn't do that one. I wasn't involved in the original project, but I've always been a huge, 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 huge fan of it. But in 2020, late 2019, tw- early 2020, I got asked to do the sound design for the expansion that they're doing, the d- downloadable content that they're doing, like a 1.5 sort of thing. 
that so they're adding like this huge massive chunk onto the original game and they want me to do sound design for it and i think it's it it's really funny how i got that project i never emailed them i didn't know any of them i was just a fan of theirs because they make like outer wilds is incredible it's such a good game but what was funny i asked them like when they were talking to me like how did you find me I, I always ask that question of clients it's like how did you find me so i know where to double down my efforts and what's so crazy is that i gave a talk at ucla a million years ago on like creativity and what exactly what we're talking about now like literally what we're talking about now so i gave a talk loved it i had a great time ucla is so cool and I just left, and that was that. And then many years later, it turns out the producer of that game was in the audience of that talk. And it wasn't a big talk. It was pretty small. Like, the audience was maybe 30 people, if that. So the odds of that are so low. But I think that goes back to the point of you don't necessarily need to have the biggest audience as long as the one right person is there. Right, like for your podcast, the one if the one right person listens, that's an opportunity, right? It's a it's a shift. Something someone asks you for something that you maybe have never done before. I think that is really cool and a way we can think about things related to the audience stuff we talked about earlier. Is put yourself out there. That's great. Share stuff. That's great. Share however you want to, and it might reach that one right person. It might turn into a really cool gig because I've been a huge fan of this game since it came out. It's massive, and it's funny. I've been working on this in secret for, like, over a year, and I hear all these people talking about how good Outer Wilds is. I'm like, <gasps> and I can't say anything. Like, I'm, they're doing an expansion, and it's going to be really good, and I'm working on it. Like, I couldn't say. It's all NDA as hell. They were so secretive about it. There were no leaks, nothing. We Like, super tight-lipped. Uh, but it goes to show, like, you never know where these little things that you do. Again, 30 people were in that audience. I did it for fun just because I liked UCLA. Like I just, I knew it wouldn't be a big thing, but you never know where these things kind of end up. Yeah. That's, that is, that is super cool, actually. Like, super cool. I, I, I couldn't, oh my goodness. I didn't think you were going to tell me that. I, I thought you were going to be like, yeah, I applied for this job no. and I got it. It was awesome. It's super dope. Like, I did not imagine you were going to say something like that. I should have uh, given like our whole conversation. <laughs> I should have thought of something like that, but I was not even going there. I was like, yeah, it's going to be like, I was doing this job once and then things happened and it was super cool. Oh my God. That's so much cooler. <laughs> it's, 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 so much it's so much how a lot of freelance work goes, right? It's like someone knows you. Like, it's kind of like what happened with us is someone that you interviewed was like, this person will be cool. And now I'm here, right? It's, it's so often how things go in this field. So it's really good to exist in some way, shape or form. Because when we, when we uh, started, when we were doing this whole podcast thing, like, you you had no idea who I was, but you could research me because I had stuff out there, and it's great. <laughs> like, as a side note to that, because first off, that is super cool, but side note to that is, I have interviewed people who have, like, nothing on the yeah. internet, like, at all, and, like, so it's not, like, about having no, stuff. Yeah. So it's just, like, just to be clear. Yeah. It's not about having stuff. It's just about having a way to be connected Exactly, with yes, exactly. And so, like, Interviewing people who didn't have anything, it definitely made like the questions a little bit more blind, yeah. a little bit more generic versus like with you and like the questions that I, I have written out, even though we've only touched like three of them, <laughs> uh, were, were, were definitely a lot more specific. They were, they were more topic oriented. And so I think that that's actually really cool to have those two things, but it's like the way that you get connected to people. 
again, and that gets you back to networking, right? And yeah. not necessarily networking in like the conventional way that people think of networking. It's like sometimes it's a little bit more of the unconventional ways of doing networking, right? 100%. By doing talks, right? Like that's a form of networking, even though it's not specific with each individual person in the audience, you networked by doing the talk. 100. That person heard you and was like, yo, this guy, we, we going to claim, we going to claim that right there. You know, like, like it's, it's, the, it's the same 100%. kind of thing. So, yeah, no, that's fabulous. Oh, that's so cool. That's how, mo- that's how all of my <laughs> I'm gigs. I'm so happy for oh, you. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> I think that's how all of my gigs came about. I've never applied in a traditional sense. It's always been like, oh, I know this person who knows this person who recommended me. Or like I gave a talk and someone approached me after the talk or like things like that. Is It's always random, right? It's never... I mean, I know there are people who apply for jobs and get them. Like, that is a process. That can happen. But it's just not something that I've dealt with because I'm a weirdo. And I'm like, I just, I just like talking to people and get, getting, getting the frames, making frames. And now we're connected. So, like, that's great, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes people have narrow views of, like, how things are supposed to be done. So I think it's fun that, like, fun and educational that, you know, your, your process wasn't, like, the standard Oh, I went to like LinkedIn no, and I applied never. or, you know, I went and did this thing or whatever, you know, like, no, you're wrong. If LinkedIn is how you find jobs, by all means, go do it. Like, I'm not dissing it. It's definitely a, a um, it's a tool to be used to get yourself money. I'm not, yes. I'm not dissing it. But also there's other tools in which you can use to make money to live, you know, and that, that networking looks different and sometimes, and, and I think that's, that's really cool. That's actually a really great story. Yay. Yeah. So yeah. Yay, you. You're so sweet. Yay. Thank you. And now you get to talk yeah, about finally. it, which is super cool. Oh like, my God. <laughs> I've been keeping it so, like all my friends talking about how good Outer Wilds is around me. I'm like, yeah, it's great. Like dead silent about it. <laughs> okay. Is it like super hard to keep those secrets? Oh like, my God. It's ever, so like, hard. almost slip up? I've never slipped up. <laughs> I always keep my NDAs really, really, really tight. I'm very good at that, but it is, it is hard. Uh, especially when people are talking about a thing you're on that you can't talk about, right? Of like, yeah, like I just go dead silent when that. Like, it's very. I have a very easy tell if you know me extremely well. Where if someone's talking about something, I'll just be. I just not say anything. <laughs> I love how you're like not say anything, but you're like literally holding your breath. <laughs> I'm just holding my breath. Yeah, because I because if I say anything, I'll fuck up. So I need to like. Wait, just I'm keep it, it chill. Yep. You're better than me. I just I have to walk away. So that's my easy thing. Oh, I'm that's always, smart like, actually. Anytime I'm always just like uh, so the bathroom or the kitchen or oh man, my phone is so interesting. I got to call somebody like absolutely right now. It, uh, I think that's <laughs> smarter. I think I should start doing that. It's just walk away. I really I like that. Well, I hope it helps if it, if it comes to mind while working. I'm always here for for, for <laughs> random little useless tidbits that may or may not be useful, uh, you know. But yeah, that's super cool. Um, I I really enjoyed this. This has been fantastic. Oh, so Thank fun! You so much. You're for, such a good interviewer. Thank you. You're very very good. I it's very very good. It's very easy to talk to you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. I. <laughs> uh i i i really enjoy talking with you 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 gave me a lot to think about you are the only person who almost made me cry and uh, <laughs> you know it's awesome great. it's awesome. great this was fantastic <laughs> i'm honored um you've definitely made a uh, audience member out of me um so oh I, you <laughs> <laughs> hey i can bring back what we talked about it's great <laughs> so um 
Yeah, so I'm just going to call it quits here. Thank you so much Beautiful. for being on the show. It's fantastic. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so that is the end of the episode with Akash. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I know that I learned a lot, so I hope that you as my audience also learned a lot. Don't forget to leave a review of the show and share it with somebody who you think might like it. Also, if you would like to connect with me, go to my website at beatsinabottle.com. That's beats like a music beat, B-E-A-T-S, in a bottle, dot com. Uh, sign up for my newsletter. Yes, I am launching a newsletter. The first one goes out September 5th. You're definitely going to want to be on board for that. And uh, otherwise, I hope you guys keep it groovy.